You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. As Pastor mentioned, uh, just an incredible history with the Ellis's, uh, the church, and, um, you know, uh, Pastor David was texting me earlier today, and so we feel like we are a part of uh, this Riverside Community Church. And, uh, you know, as the church moved around, we kind of visited all the different locations along the way and are, are just so proud about how um, you all have uh, just done the kingdom work here in Oakmont and the surrounding area. So um, what a privilege and uh, excited this morning to be able to uh, share. And, you know, when Pastor texted me and said, you know, this is the series we're in, and, and he gave this list of, you know, the different Old Testament characters you've been studying. And then when he told me I had Esther, I was like, oh, that is just so incredibly perfect. And, you know, uh, you know, I have three daughters and my first three grandchildren are all girls. And so, you know, Esther's a good book for me. Okay. And, uh, and, and really just an amazing, amazing story. Um, you know, I encourage you read the whole story of Esther. I won't be able to unpack everything about it, but Maybe take time this week and read that whole story. But, you know, I want to talk a minute just about living on the edge. You know, that's the, uh, that's, the, you know, life on the edge. It's, it's, you know, uh, something that I'm not sure all of us, uh, want to do. You know, my son-in-law has, uh, virtual reality goggles. And of course, I'm an old guy, but, you know, I was like, I got to try this out. And, and, and in this, this virtual reality world, you, you take an elevator up to like the 10th floor and there's a plank that you have to walk out on. And I'm telling you, you want to talk about living on the edge or life on the edge without, you know, literally being on the edge. Okay. Um, that was that experience for me, but, uh, you know, when we think about your, your sermon series and, and Esther, truly, Esther exemplifies courage. You know, if there was ever a time maybe in our lives or what we're facing right now um, under COVID and under some of the cultural changes and then globally, this is a time and a day and an age where we need courage. And today we're going to hear a story of an amazing woman who had courage you know, uh, we, as I listened to some of the sermons in the, the series, um, you know, not all of us were made for heroism. You know, when, when, you, when you go through all these characters you've been studying, and especially Esther, you know, she was heroic in some ways. One of the things is I was contemplating all the characters you studied, and even Esther, and I wrote this in my notes, I said, a courage and life on the edge is more like a falling rather than a calling. You know, you, we've been hearing about how people have been called. You know, I'm not sure Esther was necessarily called to save a nation. I, I don't know if you and I are called to live through COVID-19. Uh, matter of fact, we pass on that, right? There's a lot of things we would pass on. 
But, but courage sometimes is as a result of a falling on rather than a calling on. And the life in which we live right now, things have fallen upon us and will require courage to go forward. A couple of things about the book of Esther I just want to point out before I dive in here. Um, the story of, uh, uh, first of all, this, i got to get this out of the way early. God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, okay? So people complain, you know, why is Esther in the Bible? God is not mentioned. Um, but the story of Esther is an invitation to look at God's activity. So, so God is active in the story, and you know he's active in the story because the book of Esther is full of these divine coincidences and ironic reversals. And, you know, if there's ever a time where we feel like we're due for a few of these, I think now is it. Like many of the Old Testament stories, uh, Esther is full of morally ambiguous people, including Mordecai. If you kind of really think about how this whole thing went down, he probably wouldn't fit in our 2020 world, but um, I got to get that out of the way as well. But let me give you a little background on the story of Esther. I'm going to jump into a few points and share a few things about missions along the way. So Esther is, and, and of course, some of you, a lot of you know the story of Esther, but for those of you that aren't very familiar with it, just a little background. <clears throat> Esther is an orphan girl with an uncle who raises her, and when she becomes a young adult, he puts her in a beauty contest to marry a guy who banishes or divorces his first wife because she won't appear before he and his drunken friends after a party that lasted 187 days. How did this get in the Bible anyway, right? No, but I'm giving you the stark reality of Esther, okay? I, I wish I could candy coat it. You know, some people say, well, it was this beauty contest. No, 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 no. This guy banishes his first wife because she won't come. I, I Actually, in the story, Vashti is like, you know, she stands up to, to her husband. And this is a whole book you could talk about marriage, but we, we won't go down that path right now. So in our 2020 context, not a totally cool story. Um, Esther, I want to say, though, probably had it better than most people between being saved by her uncle and becoming the first wife among many in the most powerful kingdom on the planet. She may have felt like she was fortunate. Because for an orphan who lived back in those days, death and slavery probably was a greater chance of happening so I, I don't know where Esther stood in all these things. I can't even guess during those days. But I will say that she was put into a place. Something fell upon her and she used it to save a people. She wins this beauty contest. Everything seems to be going well. And then um, after she becomes queen, her uncle, who is now kind of one of the officials, saves the king from assassination and is never thanked for that saving of the king. Um, then enter the villain of the story, a man named Haman, who takes a dislike for Mordecai, Esther's uncle, 
and decides that he should get together with the king and use uh, sacks of silver to influence the king and the governors to commit genocide on Mordecai, Esther, and all the Jews. Well, I want to kind of pick this thing up here. I'm not going to give you the end of the story because it'll come out in the message, but I wanted to focus on why was Esther courageous and what does it mean for us today? The first thing I want to point out is that Esther was courageous because she was an orphan. Esther was courageous because she was an orphan. Let me read to you Esther chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. It says, At that time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa named Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Let me ask you this question. What kind of courage do you need to live up to or overcome the circumstances you were born in? You know, I think if there's something that we need to take courage in as we think about this story is Esther was courageous because she was born into circumstances that could have very likely left her in a lot of trouble. And instead, she overcame the circumstances that she was born in. You know, Liz and I, as we served in Indonesia, had the privilege during our years of rescuing 23 children from some of the natural disasters and some of the, the, the infighting that happened in the country, children that were left without parents. You know, and as Pastor Bill mentioned, I, if I started telling stories about those kids, I could go on and on and on and on here today. But just two years ago, we had the privilege Many of these kids now, you know, 23 years in Indonesia, now eight here in the U.S. in our current role. And um, we had a reunion with our 23 kids two years ago. Adults now married with their own kids. Yeah, I got to be careful because if I start crying now, maybe I won't be able to stop. They sat around the table on our last night of our reunion, big dinner table, and talked about where they came from and how difficult their circumstances were and that they were rescued. You know, I, I think it takes an enormous amount of courage. One of, one of the boys in the orphanage, his name is Billy, and um, he is now in his last year of Bible school. <laughs> And, of course, I was a teacher at that Bible school, and when I saw him, you know, two years ago, he had just been started out, and he wants to be a pastor. Actually, he said, I want to be an evangelist in the rural villages of Indonesia. And, and so I, I said to Billy, I said, well, did you tell them that I'm, like, basically, you know, he calls me his father. I said, did you tell him that, like, I'm your father? And he said, 
No, I didn't want to get any special privileges. <laughs> I said, no, use that to your advantage, you know. <laughs> but the enormous amount of courage it takes sometimes to come from circumstances where I was born without parents. Maybe you're watching today and you were born abandoned or growing up in foster care. or I don't know what your circumstances are, but I want you to know that you can have courage like Esther. A thought as application under this point is, if you are abandoned today, take courage. If you feel like you've been abandoned by family or friends, take courage. And I want you to know that the definition of courage is not the absence of fear. Uh, courage is when even though we're afraid, we take hold of the Lord and say, with your help, God. You know, as, as I reflect back on this dinner we had with the kids that we helped to raise in Indonesia, two of them recounted the stories where their parents were gone, and in some of these circumstances, their parents had been killed, and they said, I remember praying, God, we're afraid, but give us courage. Send someone to help us. You know, even though we're afraid, it doesn't mean we don't have courage or can't have courage, but courage rises up in the midst of fear. And so I don't want to make light of what is happening in both the health and cultural arenas of our country, but what I can say is that God is not the author of fear, and we cannot let the fear of things going on around us overcome us, whether you're a missionary or whether you're living in Oakmont, Pennsylvania, take courage. And even though you may feel abandoned by society, your job, your family, please know that in the Lord you may find courage. Second thing I want you to know about Esther is that Esther was courageous because she went to the king without being invited. So, you know, Esther wins this contest and um, she is now the, the, the queen of this incredible kingdom, and uh, her people need help. And she, and let me read to you here, I, I've got some scriptures, Esther 3, 12 and 13, and then I'm going to immediately jump to Esther 4, 13 through 17. Esther 3, 12 to 13, it said, So on April 17, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7 of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. Pretty rough sentence. In Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, 
deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Incredibly famous verses. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther knew that going into the king's area or chamber or throne room without an invitation could mean death. Xerxes, for all that he was, from everything we can tell, was probably a little bit unstable. He banishes his first wife. And so, you know, I imagine if you were Esther and not called into the king, you were probably a little bit apprehensive or fearful about doing something like this, and you didn't want to push it too hard. I want to say here again that Esther had courage because she went into the king uninvited. Now, a few things that are important for us here today. First, I want you to know that there were people who stood behind her and fasted with her. You know, one of the things that jumped out of the scripture here was that our missionaries are living on the edge and without you standing behind them with your support, we are unable to live out on that edge. You know, this is kind of the, the beauty of, of church and, and missions is that maybe you're not called to go and ask for an audience with the king, but you're called to stand behind someone who is. And so Esther had the courage and the position to say, I'm going to go in and make an audience with the king, even though it may mean my life, but I'm not going to do it until everyone stands behind me in fasting and in prayer. And how thankful I am for the years that we served in Indonesia, that I knew Riverside Community Church was behind us in prayer, behind us with their finances. And as we were rescuing orphans and planting churches, and helping people find Jesus. I had a family in Oakmont who supported us and helped us accomplish that great thing. You may give something to missions on occasion. Please know it's helping people have courage to go into the king, to stand in places maybe where they never expected to stand. And so there are those with courage living on the edge but there's also someone or some people behind them saying, we're behind you in this bold and outrageous adventure. You know, I, I, I wrote a, 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 as a thought here, if there's something, if there's something, I'm, I'm sorry, if there is something you know you need to do, but just haven't felt able to do it, take courage. Maybe it's asking someone for forgiveness. Maybe it's sharing your faith. Maybe it's a new job you started because of COVID or that you need to start. Maybe it's parenting your children because they haven't gone back to school yet. <laughs> 
Maybe it's starting a new business. Maybe it's changing your major in school. Maybe it's telling people you love that you're about to do something they weren't expecting you to do. Or maybe it's simply just doing life under COVID. But if there's something you know you need to do, like Esther, but you haven't felt able, take courage and do it. Here's my advice if if that's you here today. Get a group of people to back you. (laughs) Like Esther, don't do it alone. If you're about to make a bold move, go for a new job. If you're going to ask someone for forgiveness, recruit a group of people and say, I'm about to do something big. Can you get behind me? Make a solid plan. You know, in this story here, it's amazing. You know, Esther didn't walk into the king and say, hey, Haman is trying to kill me and my people. She said, actually, I'd love to invite you to a banquet. (laughs) She laid this thing out. Have a solid plan. If you're going to, you know, do, uh, uh, do something bold and something courageous, have a solid plan. And then there is that moment where you have to jump off the edge and just do it. You know, I would say that in my years of serving in Indonesia, there were just a number of moments where it was almost like fear rose up inside of me and I needed to swallow it and say, Lord, with your help, I can tell this person about you. With your help, I can go to a place or an area that's been damaged by a natural disaster or there's infighting. And so, Lord, I need your courage. But there is that moment where we really just have to step out and believe that God is going to give us the courage to do that very thing. You know, the, the, the last thing I see that was courageous on the part of Esther, and I think, you know, as I was pulling this out of the Scripture, I thought, man, given everything that's happened in the last week and in the last several months, this is really, really, I think, an important point. Esther was courageous Because she stood in the face of injustice, prejudice, and genocide. You know, as we think about this story, it really boiled down to the idea that Haman hated this group of people. I mean, we read it. He, he set out a decree that this group of people, and by the way, even though it was the Jews, I think you could almost say that it wouldn't have mattered if it was the Jews and, and, or if it was some other ethnicity that was being targeted or it was being uh, looked at to be annihilated. Whatever it is, it's wrong. In this case, it was the Jews. And so Esther, who was a Jew herself, was standing on behalf of her people, looking at Haman and the king and saying, this man here wants to annihilate my people. Um, There are, of course, many things that are plaguing our society today. Haman was an agite. So he wasn't a Jew, he was an Agite. He was from a royal family in Canaan, right near where the Jews, you know, kind of had their kingdom, who surrendered to the Persians and the Babylonians without a fight and literally became one of their favored peoples. 
and yet they carried with them a hatred towards another people. They decided that they would try to wipe out and kill not only Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people. Let me read to you in Esther chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. It says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want. Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give to you even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could have remained quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king and the king said, who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous to touch you? And of course, it was Haman sitting right next to him. The ironies, the, the turn of events is something that's very clear there. You know, one, one of the things as I was reflecting on this verse, and really, it took so much courage for Esther after she had laid that whole plan out to then stand there in front of the king and his most trusted advisor and point the finger at him and say, this is a man who's trying to kill me and all of my people. He hates our race. He hates our people. Um, one of the things that was... And keep in mind, the king had signed and agreed to these decrees. So, so here's what jumped out as me as I reflected on this. You know, when the king realized that his own queen was somebody who he had signed off to be killed and hated, he changed his mind. You know, sometimes what we do in, in our cultural wars and the things that are going on here in the U.S. is we've grouped a whole group of people together, whether it's a political grouping or a religious grouping or a, a, an ethnic grouping, and we say, all those people are like this, or we should do this with them. And when the king realized that somebody he had grouped together to die, one of them was somebody he loved, he changed his mind. I imagine that some of the groups that we've written off, there's people in those groups that you might look at and say, dear God, what have I done by thinking that way? What have I done by saying those things? Can I just say that God loves all humanity? He loves Every person, no matter what their political persuasion, no matter uh, what, their, uh, what their gender is, no matter what their uh, ethnicity is, no matter what language they speak, and even it doesn't matter what religion that they hold to, the God of the ages doesn't want to see genocide take place. In this case, it was Esther saving the Jews, but who else could it be in my, my, my thought for us here as I'm coming to a close is if there is someone you need to stand up for who can't stand up for themselves, take courage for them. 
How would it be if in the world today when we see the injustices and the things going on, if instead of taking a side, we decided to stand up for those who are under attack and those who are being hurt? Esther decided to take a stand at risk of her life. You know, with Haman next to the king there at that banquet, the king could have turned and said to Esther, well, it's time for a new queen anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and allow you and your people to be wiped out. I want you to know that this was a courageous act. You know, I said here as a thought, if there's someone you need to stand up for who can't stand up for themselves, take courage for them. You know, I'm going to share a, a story with kind of, it'll help you have a couple of uh, changes of views. And this is what I'm going to close with. Um, you know, Liz and I served in Indonesia for, you know, 23 years, as Pastor mentioned. And, um, I, you know, there's still days where we long to be back there again. It's in many ways our other home. Uh, we, we love the country. We love the people so much. And... Um, it shouldn't be surprising that one of our three children is, uh, and her husband and her children have taken up that mantle and they're serving in Indonesia now as, as missionaries. And a few years ago, um, first uh, uh, child for them was born uh, there in the country. Liz was, and, and I visited, I was there for the birth and then had to leave, but Liz stayed a little longer and uh, right around Mother's Day, uh, two years ago, um, terrorists decided that they would blow up three churches in the city of Surabaya on Mother's Day. So you can imagine um, a car bomb, a motorcycle bomb, and then a, a suicide bomber put bombs on themselves and walked into the lobby of the church on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And, and blew themselves up. So I was in the States. Liz was actually still in Indonesia. And I was, of course, panicked and worried. And, you know, I was getting reports from my friends there that these bombs were going off and churches were uh, being destroyed and, and annihilated and, and etc. And, and, of course, I'm, uh, Liz was actually preaching at a church on Mother's Day. So I was concerned for her, but I couldn't get a hold of her. And so I'm, I'm trying to get a hold. I finally get a hold of my daughter, Kelly, who was at home because she had just given birth two weeks before. And uh, she, I found out she was doing okay. But here's what she said. She said, Daddy, thanks for calling me, but you weren't the first person to call me. And I said, well, what do you mean I wasn't the first person? And she said, the first person to call me was my Muslim friend who said, when I heard churches were being blown up, I had to call to find out if you were okay. I, I want you to know that sometimes we can't just do this grouping. And then this is what she added to my daughter Kelly. She said, I called to find out if you were okay. And I called you because you're the only Christian I know. What do we expect in a city of six and a half million people, majority um, not Christian? You're the only Christian I know. And I wanted to find out if you were okay because you've been sharing the truth with me. 
You know, sometimes we like to make that grouping. Sometimes we see things that happen. I want you to know that we need to take courage, come alongside of maybe people that we never expected to come alongside of. And when that happens, we'll get to share that amazing faith that we have, that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And that is the eternal truth that we have. I'm going to just pray for you. I love the fact that I got a chance to share this amazing story of Esther. As you live life on the edge right now, take courage. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this Riverside Community Church family, Lord. Those watching online right now and a little bit later at a, 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 a 11 and, and, and Lord, those that are going to be streaming this even later on, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that Lord, you'd help people who are at home right now, possibly living in fear, Lord. Whatever that fear may be, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, let courage that comes from you rise up inside of them. Lord, I pray that as they look at what's happening all around them, that they won't just group people into categories and not realize that every single person is valuable and loved by you, Lord. So Lord, give us the courage for this day that we live in, oh God. Give us the courage to live through this pandemic, oh God. Give us the courage to live through these cultural wars. Give us the courage to keep sending missionaries around the world to share the good news about you and your son. So thank you, Lord. We love you. Bless the church now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.